imagine it, see it, breathe it, make out every detail of the light cast on shadowed areas, naming the darkness in this way, we have control over its existence and cast it out. Feel the air of justice in your lungs amid the flames engulfing our burning desire to birth forth our new path, our old path of being connected to our kupuna. Allow the might of peace to take over as we exhale the burden, release ourselves from a cramped clutch. Take hold of the welling up of your power to move with such grace and clarity. You are the conduit of God, the direct connection between your ancestors' memories, your lived experiences, and your children's imagination coming to life. Aloha nui kako. Mahalo for tuning in to the Kuike Aloha podcast with me, Megan Le Aloha Ao. I'm super grateful, super humbled to be serving as practitioner and facilitator today with Tanya Smith-Johnson. Tanya is a mother of six. She's a home birther, a homeschooler, Navy veteran, and midwife. Her bachelor's of science in biology and master's of science in medical science foundation to her didactic midwifery education from the Midwives College of Utah. Tanya is a contributing team member to the Program Development in Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies Coalition of Hawaii, and she is a former board member and Oahu representative of the Midwives Alliance of Hawaii. Her work serving mothers full spectrum with hands-on, loving, and supportive midwifery care, coupled with her policy work with the Hawaii State Commission on the Status of Women, brings full circle her passion and her work to support reproductive justice, birth equity, and the improvement of birth outcomes for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Mahalo so much, Tanya, for taking time out of your life and your hive and your work <laughs> to spend some moments with me here. Yes, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Mahalo. And, you know, this is all about storing, too, and talking stories. So if you wanted to, feel free, if there's anything else that you want to, you know, give a little bit of you know, from your life or from your story that you want to let anyone know listening just a little bit more about you, feel free before we really get into it. Yeah, like, you know, listening to, you know, that that introduction and it sounds so beautiful and it's almost like, is that me? Is that my <laughs> life? Yes, <But> your life. <laughs> it, it sounds so like, you know, academic and elitist, but what I would like to, you know, let people know is that, you know, yeah. Um, I'm just a, a girl from, you know, St. Louis, Missouri, you know, mm -hmm. I, I grew up, you know, poor, you know, with, with a mother who was a drug addict, mm -hmm. um, who was just, you know, trying to figure out mothering and, and living up underneath, you know, this, you know, capitalist yes. system that doesn't respect, you know, the work that women do you know, and, and she crumbled under that. Yeah. So growing up like that, growing up, seeing her, you know, informs everything I do. Mm -hmm. Um, it, even though it didn't turn out great for us in, in the sense of the ways we were able to navigate life together and apart because mm -hmm. she just passed last May. Oh, and wow. so this is the first year without her. And I want to honor you know, all that she suffered and had to go through because um, mm -hmm. it's it's part of my story and, it, and it's part of 
why I'm so passionate about, you know, the work I do in, in women and babies and just making sure that, you know, we are in a world, a society that nurtures us and nourishes us and sees us so that, you know, our progeny, you know, forward, you know, can do better. So when I hear that and know from which I came and, you know, know the struggles that my mother had, it, it, it gives me hope knowing that if, if that's me, you know, yeah. who will my daughters be, you know, and who will my granddaughters be? So, uh, and I, I say that and share that to just say that I'm, you know, I'm no different, you know, than anyone else and, and have struggles and, yeah. and life has, you know, dealt me a certain deck of cards, but in all of that, you know, using that to liberate all of us and make sure that all of yeah. us are okay you know, in the process is, is the work that I do. Mm, mahalo for that. That's, I feel like that's so much a part of why the things that we go through as practitioners and, you know, birth workers or support workers, it's like the lived experience combined with whatever tools we are, we, you know, really literally fight for to mm -hmm. have as these tools to move through society and to be able to advocate and support how we need to, I, you know, I super respect and reflect some of that, you know, similarity and how, you know, my mother and, you know, all of our grandmothers too, you know, it's a, it's, I, I believe you when you say that and the magic that I know you speak of when <laughs> you talk of your daughters, I feel like that's exactly what we, you know, we want to keep that for them in their eyes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Mahalo for that. And that strength that you talk about, I feel like was something you know that inspired me to reach out to you because we're already connected and I think we we have a lot of similar circles and the six degrees of separation and how we connect mm -hmm. right but when you posted about your collaboration with um you know the the Hawaii State Commission on Status of Women working with them to build this document called Building Bridges Not Walking on Backs a feminist economic recovery plan for COVID-19 I feel like you know a few folks came on that in April and the way that it just brought so much power and clarity, you know, if I could just share one of the, the paragraphs in it that I felt like was sort of like this, uh, a breath and this um, place from the heart that you folks really just, you know, birthed this thing with that vision, you know, and I'm quoting you folks here and the quote starts with the commission is cognizant that a plan presented by a colonial power structure does not reflect the only or best route to a just recovery. We hope to make space for community ideas that speak not only about response and recovery, but also of repair and revival. Repair of historic harms and intergenerational trauma playing out as male domination, gender-based violence, economic insecurity, poor health, and mass incarceration. These are a serious threat to a sustainable, resilient society. It is clearer than ever that a capitalist system did not care for us during COVID-19. Now is the time to prioritize a revival of place-based practice and knowledge and self-determination. Only in this way can we hope to redefine our connections inseparably economic and social with women, one another, and with the wider worldview of which we are a part. In our view, we are not seeking to return to normal, but to build bridges to a feminist future for Hawaii. And that ends the quote. And you know, like I said before, there's just so much power and 
feeling and you know love in this document and we'll post it in the show notes so people can read the thing in its entirety and experience it you know for themselves and i just feel like these words so clearly you know call to the table the things that really need to be put under a serious bright light or serious scrutiny you know it's the things that so many of us our stories of our families, you know, for, you know, hundreds, thousands of years. However, you know, depending on what culture and what, you know, timeline you're looking at, so many people have lived under and suffered under this, you know, way, you know, this society for way too long. And, you know, you folks call it to light to, I feel like, finally just burn it clean, wash it out from whatever society we knew before and just really look forward. So I just really appreciated that. Yes. Um, Yeah. It's, you know, it, it was a beautiful coming together, you know, um, the, the women, you know, who came together to, to form this, um, COVID-19 feminist, you know, uh, recovery team. We were just, you know, we come from all walks of life, but if anything that we realized is that this is a moment that we have nothing to lose. so. Why not call it what it is? Why not acknowledge all the harm, acknowledge all the ways in which, you know, status quo isn't serving any of us? Yes. And if we can have it our way, what could we do to make it better? And that literally is the, the, the place where many of us came from. Like, hey, if we can just sit down at the table and say what it is that would make things better, what it is that we need, you know, let's, let's put it down. And that's what that, you know, recovery, you know, economic plan is. And to to many, it's, it's radical (laughs) to many. Mm -hmm. It's, it's bold, but you know, times like these, that's what's called for, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. a, you know, many of us, you know, especially black, indigenous, native peoples, people of color, we were already experiencing our own pandemic, you know, um, within this culture, you know, that is heteronormative and capitalist and, you know, under patriarchy and, you know, just mm-hmm. all the things, you know, yeah. have come to head at this point. So why not be bold and be radical yeah. and and bring with us, you know, our mothers and our grandmothers and our great grandmothers and our lines and, and you know, mm-hmm. call it into all those things that harmed them. You know, because history is made by the winners, right? The stories that we hear, the victories that, you know, we exalt, you know, were made by the winners. So this, you know, report in many ways, I feel like are the underdogs, you know, speaking up and and saying what it is that we want the world to be. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's been widely received, you know, all over the world to where people, you know, are just like, wow. (laughs) somebody said it, you know, and somebody actually wrote it down and, and not only wrote it down, but, you know, spoke to all the parts, you know, included all the people who were never at the table um, Mm -hmm. and included their voices in that. So if you, you know, you read that, you hear all of those voices, you hear that pain, you hear Mm -hmm. the frustration and you hear, you know, the, you know, time's up and it's enough. So what are we going to do about it? So I'm extremely proud to, you know, to be a part, to be asked to be a part, Mm -hmm. to 
to write pieces of me into it that I know, you know, are the shared and lived experiences of so many others and try to make it policy, right? You know, because policy and legislation is what, you know, dictates the way our lives run. So it's important to, you know, be strategic and have a plan that we could potentially put into place. And this was our start. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was just like a series of chicken skin goosebumps while you just spoke all of that. And I feel like, you know, like you said, being bold and, you know, radical. And at the same time, I think a lot of our folks who will be listening, you know, the people who are connected to the communities that we are involved in, they'll be like, this isn't radical. This is what we talk about all the time. This is how we always feel, you know, and it, it, it feels so good to, you know, that you folks are creating this connection, you know, and, and it's like you said, we can only address and support and heal what's actually acknowledged as existing issues, right? So if the story is only this one paradigm of, like you said, the winner story, this one light of this is how we're meant to survive and this is the only way to access wealth and health and how do we function in society, right? And it's just like, no, like clearly this whole thing has collapsed. And, you know, I, I really believe now with everyone feeling it, it's not just marginalized populations affected by mm-hmm. this collapse right now. Mm-hmm. It's something that I feel like so many people and so, you know, so many of us too, who believe in what you folks are saying, that the system really has us doing a number of pay the bills, do this. And so it's, it's an interesting time for everyone globally to, you know, take that break. And, you know, like you said, the way to introduce these policies now and to really push for things, especially when it's like this worldwide awakening of like, okay, this hasn't served anybody, you know, and you know, when you folks revisioning and rebuilding the economy, society, literally, I love and so appreciate how you folks called for like, the transparency and public consultation mm-hmm. and women plus collaboration, you know, because it's going to take this well-rounded idea, this narrative that accounts, like you said, includes everyone. And, you know, can you, can you go into that more about by centering women intergenerationally stories in this planning of society as we reemerge and, you know, birth out this new way to, you know, uh, function, how does it really center and balance our, our communities and societies? Like, how does, how does this, you know, bring a new forth, bring forth this new balance and this new way of, of seeing how we can function? Yes. I mean, we all know this, right? That women hold up the world, right? I say it all the yes. time. You know, we literally, you know, women caregivers hold up the world. And what, if anything, that COVID-19, you know, is showing us is like, yeah, those are, you know, the essential workers, right? You know, yeah. those are the people, you know, it really is, you know, calling upon us to see like, what is important? <laughs> Who's doing the work? Who's doing the heavy lifting? And you can't, you know, make a plan like this without actually, you know, having those people at the table, right? And many of us, you know, our mothers and grandmothers didn't get the opportunity, right? They, they didn't get the opportunity even to tell their stories. You know, some of those stories, you know, died with them, you know, because it just, you know, they, they knew they weren't going to be heard. They knew that they weren't seen and they were just here trying to survive. 
you know, and now, you know, as we're in the midst of this and everybody is just trying to survive, you know, it, it shouldn't take for people who aren't, you know, centered all the time to be the ones to say like, hey, this isn't right. But what we're seeing now is like, oh, the people who always get all the things are feeling away now. So now, you know, it's mm -hmm. an issue, you know, about, you know, childcare. It's an issue in the division of labor at home. You know, it's an issue yes. with all of these things that many of us have already been experiencing. And, and it's just all we know, you know, it's all we saw growing up. It's, you know, it's just something that is in our, you know, in our familial lines of how things are, you know. And so now, like, you know, it's, it's taking people to, like, see parallel stories and see parallel experiences, you know, to actually say like, wow, okay, this isn't serving you. It's not serving me. And we had to get out the place of like, you know, what only is affecting me in a, you know, in a selfish way to be like, okay, I don't have to be centered in this. I don't have to be the, you know, the one who's experiencing this, you know, particular thing to care about it. Right. Right. And I think that's a, you know, and that's the beauty of this report, right? Like, you know, we, we talk about, everyone who's, you know, who's vulnerable, everyone who's marginalized, right? Everyone, you know, is, you know, considered as much as we could, you know, just being as, you know, going to all the, you know, the, the corners and crevices of the places where, you know, no light is shown on, right? And we're shining that light on, on those places and those peoples and those lived experiences and saying, what do you need yeah. to not only survive, but to thrive? Yes. What do your people need? Mm -hmm. What did your family need? Yep. yep. And those are the things that, you know, you see reflected in, you know, in the report, you know, and, and that's why it's so all encompassing, you know, it's not just one thing, one sector, you have many stakeholders, many sectors, you know, weighing in on what, you know, will make society better, especially if we're looking at what, you know, happens to the women, what happens to our elders and what happens to the babies. That's the true testament of any society, in my opinion. The The health of those three demographics, the caregiver, the elder, and the baby, you know, our, our present, our past, and our future. And if we can't, if we're not taking care of any of those three things right, then what are we doing, you know? And so that's why in this report, you see us talking about all of that. You know, you see us talking about like, what can we do for our cakey? What do they need? How can we make things more sustainable for them? How can we make life better for them? What can we do for caregivers and caretakers? What can we give to those who are caregiving to other, you know, to the elders? What do elders need, you know, to be okay? Yeah. And I think that's the beauty in the report. And it's coming, you know, from caregivers ourselves, you know, from, from women and, and those who identify as such and, and what it is that from our very own, you know, experiences in the shared experiences of others, what are the things that we know needs healing within us, within our communities and within our lines? And how can we strategically make a plan to handle all of those things? So, I mean, it's just beautiful in so many senses that um, sometimes it, it's, it's, you know, hard to realize, like I, I read it over and over and I'm like, this is just, 
it's a work of art and it's beautiful. And, and two, giving it the space and the breath to change mm. and to be added to and to reach out to community and say, what is missing here? Not, you know, living in the space where the ones who were at the table to create this are the end all be all, but actually giving space for other voices who don't even, um, don't see themselves in the report to say like, hey, you know, are we missing something here? What did we forget? Who are we forgetting? And we'll add that into because it's a living, breathing thing that we birth. You know, so we birth this report, but it lives, it changes, it can grow, and it can become whatever it, we need it to be to serve us all. Mm, that's so beautiful. I feel like it's, like you said, it's so alive, and it's like you, you folks wove it together and you birthed it together and. It's, you know, going to affect so many and, you know, take on the life that other people are going to be caring for and contributing to. And it's, you know, and I, I agree with you and I feel you that women's views and holding up the world, we see the whole picture differently and more clearly in ways that span between, you know, systems, span between generations. And I so love that, that triangle of caregivers of our Kuna, you know, our elders and our babies and the system previously, you know, boxes those things carefully and, you know, doesn't value them the same way that I think the report that you folks have created, you know, really does, right? And I I really believe that the community spaces are are being seen, like you're saying, and that's how we're gonna be addressing the deep healing, right? By giving these places a voice and you folks specifically in the report talk about caregivers at home of both, like you say, children, elderly, and our vulnerable popula populations. The world, you know, in some senses is on a break, but really at home, there's this like sense of overtime and overdrive right now. And like you, you mentioned already in the arena of this old, you know, paternal capitalist system, we, we strayed so far from the, the Greek rooted word that you folks reminded of us of, of economy which is to manage a household right and this space is always moving always hopping always alive always got something to do or someone to feed you know and it's always growing and now everyone at home you know not just one of the partners in whatever relationships you know everyone is having to manage part of that household become part of this new de definition of economy over the last few months and you know i so honor and um am always in awe of your work that you do for the community you know with with your work with midwifery and with this policy report as well as you know at your own home i mean you know you with partnering with your husband you folks have created this system of homeschooling your six children you know and that's something that's your everyday you live and you breathe it and you know with like you said all of you pouring yourselves into this how can can you speak a little bit more to that? Like how, how does your everyday, you know, inform the way that you were collaborating because you have so many of these facets of your life, you know, that contribute to this work, you know, how does, you know, allow, that allow us to wake up in terms of the real value of um, these spaces that are really deserving attention and care because of the overdrive and overtime? Yeah, like, you know, for me, um, in, in many ways, life hasn't changed much because, as you said, like we were already home. We were already homeschooling. Um, I, 
was already doing a lot of this work in the same ways that I'm doing it now, but yet like now everybody else is at home too. So it does feel like, you know, this kind of overdrive because everyone is, you know, you know, trying to work and, and trying to take, you know, the, the systems of, of, you know, institutional, you know, school and, and the ways that we worked and just bring it into their house and realizing that doesn't work, you know, that it's not working. And, and so I think just in general, a lot of people are just kind of, you know, for one, you know, appreciating the, the work and the workers who did that right now, the sudden we appreciate teachers, you know, now we're like, oh my goodness, is this what a teacher does? You know, wow, we should pay them more, you know, like it shouldn't take this to be like, oh, we should actually value the ones who spend most of their, you know, their time and days with our children, you know, but Mm -hmm. it took something like this, you know, for us to have to take on those roles to appreciate it. The same thing for, for many people in regards to cooking and caregiving and in all of those things that many people feel are mundane have all of a sudden become, you know, uh, so essential and so magnanimous because people who normally don't do it are doing it now and seeing how much energy, effort and work it takes. So in in many ways, I'm excited that like, hey, yeah, now you you see, you know, this. (laughs) So now let's talk about it. Right. Let's talk about all the work that it takes to run a household, all the work that it takes, you know, to feed into our children and to keep things, you know, going and running to keep us healthy, to keep us safe. You know, and we're all, you know, in the same place trying to figure those things out in our, you know, in our own family systems. And for me, you know, being a mother of six, you know, being a black mother of six, I'm always worried about my children. You know, I'm, I, so I've always and have always been in this place where I'm just hyper vigilant because you, you know, you see, you know, what's happening in the greater context of the world, you know, um, in regards to police brutality and just the ways in which, you know, races are emboldened now. So I think we're all just kind of taking a step back and seeing like, wow, okay, that's what you are going through or that's what you've been doing. And and I just kind of sit like, you know, I kind of nod my head like, yeah, <laughs> now you see where I'm coming from, you know, and now you're seeing, you know, my walk because you're walking in my shoes too. And so I think that's what's happening in, in many, you know, many realms. Now we're walking in someone else's shoes and that is informing us because in many ways it's uncomfortable for some of us. It's unfamiliar for many of us. It's painful, you know. Um, and then for some of us, it's, you know, it's enlightening, you know, and and with all of those things, I'm hoping that it brings us to a level of empathy, right? To where we're like, okay, so we have to do things better. We can't go back to the status quo of, you know, where the division of labor between, you know, partners in a home wasn't equitable. Like now we see all of us are here having to do this work. So how are we going to change things just within our own, you know, microcosm, you know, of our homes? How do we change this world here? Right. And then, and thus, how do we change the world on the outside? If we're, if within our homes or, you know, we can't figure out who's doing the cooking and the cleaning, or that's just woman's work and all of these things. Like I think many of us are having to grapple with that in very real ways um, in real time right now. So I'm hoping that once we come out of this, that we don't go back to normal, quote unquote, to where mm-hmm. we have a new normal, where we're starting to like actually, you know, take what we've learned from these 
you know, these moments and, and really consider like, okay, now that we're going back to work, does it make sense to work the way we've been working? Does it make sense to burn out like this? Does it make sense to not pay people a, a fair wage? You know, does it make sense to, you know, not mm-hmm. have, you know, not pay childcare providers for, for the level of work they're doing or, you know, people who are taking care of, you know, um, elderly in nursing homes or, you know, all of these things when we're having to take on this work. So I I hope that it informs us in, in those ways and, and gives us some empathy. And as you see, you know, in the report, I'm hoping that people can kind of take some of those suggestions we're making in those realms and really support that in a in a very political way, you know, because, you know, the personal is political. So what happens in our homes, in our everyday lives is what makes up, you know, how we, you know, we function as a society. So I think we're all doing a paradigm shift at this moment, and I'm hoping it's in the right direction. Yes. No, me too. Me too. And I, I feel like that's exactly what you said is that microcosm, right? This lived experience that we live and breathe, that this has to be what's reflected out for people to really make those shifts. And I mean, it's just reflected of I, how I feel like your, your, your service to community values, these tiers and these levels, these foundational sectors of where we come from, how we're birthing, what's coming to be. And how that all plays into how do we live our lives and, you know, the value, the changing value, I feel like is so important. And, you know, going going into the revaluing that I focus you also in the report cover too by, you know, you're sharing about, I love how you cover teachers and education, you know, our, our caregivers at home, the parents who, you know, homeschool, unschool at home and do all of the things that make the household the meals go, go, you know, round and round and allow us to live. And, you know, you, you folks touched on that. And also the, you know, and my farm, my, my uh, farmer husband, you know, that's his full-time work, the tarot farmer, right? So that's something that I feel like society is also learning to revalue. And you folks address that, you know, that this, I want to say previously least valued because food, I mean, besides water and breath, you know, life, like mm-hmm. food after that, it's like, we are, we, we will not survive. Right. So mm-hmm. revaluing previously, maybe least valued and lowest paid workers that were, you know, farmers, you know, people related to the food industry delivery services, you folks really touched on that. And I feel like you address the rotation that needs to happen and how we value the kinds of industry and what's, um, you know, supporting the economy outside of the home and how the economy outside of you know, that space needs to really shift too, because in Hawaii in particular, we've been really um, dependent on, and this is something that I really are grateful that you folks are critical about, you know, de- you, you folks called for a community to be lifted up and also, you know, decrease our dependency here on tourism, sex workers, militarism, luxury construction, and, you know, at the same time, bolstering and supporting, like training and educating the people coming out of these industries with new skills or ways to live and support them in this transition as they are displaced from work, you know, for transitioning when I want to, not even if, as we are transitioning out of these things, you know, can you, can you, mm. you know, share more about that and that process you folks went, went through and these old mainstays leaving them behind and really abandoning that so that we can move towards a really whole 
peaceful, really, you know, peace through justice, right? Like this viable future mm-hmm. that's calling that out. Absolutely. You know, we, we live in a world that just consumes everything. Yes. And, and, and that's a contingent on capitalism, right? You, you have to make money and sell something and, and someone has to consume it. Yeah. And, but it always comes at a cost, right? Like the way the world runs is based on consumption, tourism, the sex, you know, trafficking, luxury mm-hmm. construction, all of it is to satiate, you know, the needs of an individual, right? Oftentimes with no regard to those, you know, who are providing the service, <laughs> you know, no regard to who it harms and affects as long as I'm getting satiated, you know, as the individual, as long as I'm getting what a, a need met, what I want, you know, whatever, you know, pleases me. And I, I think, yeah. you know, we're starting, you know, to see as a whole, you know, like, you know, like you said, many of us have always been saying, you know, these kinds of things, and it's not a radical thought, but we have to think about just, you know, us in totality to many like really realizing like what capitalism does and has done, you know, we have to, you know, see like, okay, we have to, you know, come out of that and start valuing people, (laughs) valuing land, you know, stop being, you know, you know, where we're just consuming everything without regard because capitalism doesn't have a heart, right? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have, you know, feelings. It's just about taking, 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 right? And many of us come from cultures and people to where, you know, land is important. Food is important. It is, you know, it's sacred. You know, the the cycle of life is sacred. You know, the things that feed us, you know, the things that birth us. You know, the things that sustain us all are sacred things. And, you know, when we live in a capitalist, you know, society, none of those things are valued. Right. And that's what we see when we see, you know, luxury apartments going up when they're homeless people on the street. You know, when most of those constructions are empty, but who cares? Because, you know, somebody rich, you know, built it and wanted it and bought it and is making money off of it, but not, you know, with no regard for all the unsheltered people on this land. Right. When they're when we know there's enough for everyone, but we're not, you know, equitably giving it out where we're not taking care of people in those ways. It's just so glaring. You know, and so something has to give and something has to change in those regards. You know, sex trafficking is fed from, you know, from the most vulnerable, marginalized people there are, you know, from people who are just trying to survive, people who are being coerced, people who, you know, um, mostly are people of color, especially here in Hawaii, you know, immigrants, people who have needs and people who are being preyed on, but, you know, for the consumption of someone else, the consumption of the body, you know, consumption of women and children's bodies, consumption of the land, it's all tied together, you know, so how do you fix that? You know, how do we come out of that? So we have to, you know, think about what is the alternative? What is the opposite of that? You know, imagine if we actually, care about women and children and land. Imagine if we cared about the food we grow, meaning we would care about the farmer, right? Because that is the steward of the land and food. But since we don't care about those things, we don't care about the people who do that work, right? You know, so all of it to me is tied, you know, and once we start to value, you know, those things, then we'll see, you know, improvement in the 
in society and the way that we do things. But until we, you know, that's why we see, you know, the farmers, the teachers, the caregivers, you know, all of those people are the lowest paid because they're the lowest valued in our culture. So. Yes. Yes. No, that's, that, that something I can totally agree with and feel and so appreciate that you folks spoke to that and went through those feelings because like you said, it's a, it's a place where, you know, marginalized populations, it's pushed to the side, it's hit in the dark because it's this ugliness of the consumptive nature of capitalism, right? It's like, there's this shiny side that makes us, mm-hmm. you know, it drives people to be able to, you know, make this money to consume these things because they're shiny. Well, at the same time, there's this level of consumption that, you know, we, people mainstream media does not want to talk about makes like it doesn't exist, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. to bring the light to those vulnerable populations of people who are literally feeding us from the ground up. It's like that, you know, I totally agree with that and so value and appreciate what you folks said. And it kind of even leads into, the, you know, that idea of consumptive use of land and people, you know, you folks brought up in the report environmental racism and, you know, I'm going to quote you folks here because I feel like it's it's a really powerful and clear statement. And I think it's, like you said, radical because it's like, whoa, I might not be ready to admit that. But it's like, no, this is a time, right? And so you yeah. folks, um, uh, in in terms of, you know, the controllable factors, not just, you know, you're born like this and this is why you're sick. No, there are so many outside external factors that are within a society's control and how we take care of people there's these factors that play into our risks for d- disease transmission, you know, particularly to COVID. So I wanted to quote you folks here and it, it, you folks start off environmental racism and the social determinants of health mean that low income rural communities and communities of native Hawaiian ancestry and color are more likely to live and work in areas that have been targeted for toxic industries and lack access to healthcare nutritious food, and experience greater stress than those in more privileged communities. Health problems and air pollution are contributing factors in COVID-19 deaths, and these forms of structural racism have led to a vastly disproportionate death toll amongst Black communities in the U.S. In our communities, those experiencing the structural inequalities that lead to poor health, such as Native Hawaiians, um, COFA citizens, and immigrants, are also more likely to be disproportionately burdened by COVID-19 disease. And, you know, you folks talk about and acknowledge that that there's certain ways that a, an old system of society was function, functioning that put, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color communities at risk to be more susceptible, you know, with whatever we want to call it, underlying health conditions that you folks call out our land base, you know, it's food justice base, it's the toxins, the violence, the depression, it's these environments around us, you know, and you folks call it out and you name it. And, you know, from that perspective, from that, that women plus collaborative narrative, you know, that informed this report, how, how does this recognition, um, you know, as we go down this hole of, oh, here we are, and here, you know, we're at risk, but how does this actually lift us up out of that, that feeling of poor health outcomes by, you know, giving us the power to seek truth, seek history, seek, you know, the answers to why, you know, that why this is happening worldwide across many 
you know, black, indigenous people, color communities, you know, to, to really remove and call out the systemic racism that has, you know, really, it's a deliberate, you know, like you said, this, the winners tell a certain story and want to keep a certain story going. That's so keeping it this way, you know, really does thwart our deepest healing. So could you speak into that a little bit more too? Absolutely. Because, you know, I think, you know, Black, Indigenous, POC communities have been gaslit for centuries. We knew what was happening to us. We knew what was happening, you know, in our communities. Um, We knew that we were being put at risk, you know, when, you know, the you know, toxins are put in our water and in the land or, you know, things are being built in, you know, around communities of color. Um, we we knew and we were told, no, that's not what's happening, you know, for centuries. And it's fairly new to where there's actually like reports and studies in regards to like, for instance, like Black maternal mortality you know, and that it's not because of, you know, anything intrinsically about our health necessarily, but it calls out that it's racism. You know, up until that point, you know, for instance, Black women have been told like, oh, it's because, you know, you don't eat right, or, you know, Black people are more more prone to this or that, and the same for Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders as well. You know, being, being gaslit and told that it's you that's the problem, not, you know, you know, this racist society that we live in, right? Not capitalism, not all the isms, it's you and you just need to do better. And so I think now what we're seeing, you know, is, you know, again, the acknowledgement of like, hey, it's it's not you, you know, it's not us. It's the, you know, it's the way the things were built. It was intentional and that um, none of these systems care about us, care about our well-being, you know? So of course we get, the worst food. Of course, of course, our communities are built, you know, on on rotten, you know, toxic, you know, land, of course, because they don't care about us, you know, that that's deliberate and intentional. It's not, you know, anything that we did to cause that. So what, what we're seeing now is that like, yeah, okay, so if there's, you know, climate change issues, who's going to get affected? You know, who's going to, it's going to be more detrimental for, right? Yeah. You know, it's going to be more detrimental to vulnerable populations. It's more detrimental to people who live in poverty, people who live in, you know, these marginalized communities that have been pretty much written off, you know? So who, you know, who gets to benefit from various different policies and, you know, in regards to, you know, everything from like emissions to, you know, testing in water, you know, we still have, you know, Flint, Michigan, where, you know, it's majority black and those people are still drinking, you know, lethal water because no one cares. Right. The government doesn't care because those are poor people. Those are people in a certain neighborhood, a certain piece of land. So who cares? Right. Yeah. And we see that, you know, you know, across the nation, we see that across the globe and, you know, and we see it in communities of black and brown people. You know, so I think it's just this kind of global understanding of, you know, hey, like this is how racism operates. Um, and wherever racism is, it, it hits all of the things. So, of course, it's, you know, there's going to be environmental racism. Of course, there's going to be medical racism. You know, of course, there's going to, you know, be racism in every thing that touches our lives, you know. And so that's, you know, by definition, what institutional and systemic racism 
means. And so when, when we put all of those things together and just, you know, see how um, intentional it is for us not to be well, yes. um, it takes a certain level of acknowledgement, a certain level of um, constructive strategic planning to figure out the ways in which we're going to not only liberate our people, but, you know, help our people be well in the face of systems that aren't trying to do so, right? So it's not like we're doing this and we have collaboration and we have, you know, empathy and we have, you know, systems that want to make things better for us. So when we see all these things, we see all these reports, you know, it's kind of, you know, the thing where we're like, oh, okay, I knew that, <laughs> you know, I told yeah. you so. And I think, you know, all of us are, you know, at the point now to where we can just call it what it is and we no longer are willing, you know, to take the blame and be gaslit any longer about who the real culprit is, mm -hmm. who is harming us, what is harming us, and thus what are the ways and what are the things we have to deconstruct and burn down essentially yes. for us to thrive. Yes. No, and I think that's, you know, and that's how how I feel like your birth work informs policy too. It's like, no, it's cyclical and we have to, you know, let die what isn't even ours, what isn't put in place on us, you know, re remove ourselves from it and distance mm -hmm. ourselves from it. Right. And that's, I agree. Cause then it's, it's not our problem in that sense where it's something that we we're told that is happening to us because we're a certain way and then you can't fix that. Right. And so it's a sick cycle mm -hmm. of, no, you can't get out of it. This is just who you are. And, you know, mm -hmm. I just had a thought about, um, one of my, my, um, you know, classmates, colleagues, you know, cousins, she, her, um, her work is on eugenics in Hawaii, sort of part of her research and looking at like, in Hawaii, we had curriculum in schools that is just like, no, this is how you are. And that's why you should be sterilized. You know, it's mm -hmm. like this idea of like, no, yeah. like you, right. And it's like, no, this mm -hmm. is not who we are. And I feel like having the, I don't even want to say control because that sounds like you, you own something, but having the partnership with our children, because we also unschool, homeschool our, our daughter, she's yeah. three and a half. And it's like to have that ability to maintain a safe space around what is trying to control our children and what is mm -hmm. trying to do with them, right? So yes. no, I I feel that and I totally agree. And I feel like that's how we lift ourselves up. Exactly what you said. Call it out. And then we realize it's not us in the ways that we are told, right? Mm -hmm. It's us in the powerful and the, like you say, magical ways that we're gonna create what our health and our wellness, we're liberating ourselves, like you said, liberate ourselves from this sickness that's been put on us and, and really work towards that wellness that we see and create for, you know, our children, the thing that our mothers and our grandmothers, you know, really wanted for us. Yeah. Oh, mahalo. And okay. So right. Women and, and birthing in these caregiving societies, communities around the world. And, you know, as we kind of come towards, you know, we've been going for a while and I so appreciate your time. And as we come to maybe the, the tail end of our talk, I really wanted to own in a little bit more on women 
in the workforce and, you know, whatever definition that means, because like you said previously, work at home, work in the car, work over here, work over there. It's like, we have millions of jobs, right? But, and birthing and caregiving is just like, you know, part of it. And, you know, for women who do go to, you know, work in another arena with, you know, maybe a monetary attachment, I, I really appreciate how you folks protect and, you know, I want to say demand because it's a suggestive demand, but it's also that we have power to ask and make our needs known, right? And so I want to say it is a demand and not in this way that's negative, but it's like you, people will only meet us where we're willing to like, you know, put power to that voice. Like this is exactly what we need and this is what we're going to work for, right? And so Speaking to that specifically, I'm going to quote you folks again in the report about building the state's social infrastructure, you know, and you call it childcare, education, and healthcare to create universal free childcare and long-term elder care and raise the minimum wage to what experts consider a living wage in Hawaii for single mothers at $24.80 an hour. And, you know, mm-hmm. you folks also go on to say that this will work to reduce homelessness, dependency on men, and costs to the state, uh, as well as the Department of uh, Human Services in terms of benefits to assist women because they comprise the majority of the state's impoverished. And you, you folks also, um, and this was bought, brought up in other podcasts too with Ili Malong about um, students right now who are in the United, uh, UH system working that they have to choose between, you know, work or, you know, being sick or you can't go to work or, you know, and it's like, you can't put food on the table mm. because you feel right. So you folks put in this clause in the report of adopting paid sick days and paid family leave. So workers never again have to be asked to choose between risking their health and the health of their community or putting food on the table. And that's another quote from you folks. Can you, you know, comment on that a little bit more? Yes. You know, so it, we can't say that we, we value women and and women's work and not pay for it, you know, yes. cause it's work. Um, if, if we're not doing it, you know, someone has to do it, you know, so if yeah. we're mothering, we have, we have children, you know, we want to be able to, you know, be with them and raise them, you know, and if, you know, women are working, you know, out outside of the home, someone else still has to do that labor. Right. So it is work. And we can't keep, you know, living in this this world where we know that it that's work that needs to be done, but you know, we we don't pay people their worth. We don't feel yeah. like there's any benefits that should be associated with that. So of course, you know, how do we expect, you know, women to be able to stand on their own and take care of their children when they're, you know, mostly doing mothering and caregiving? You know, so I I think that piece of it is put in there to honor mothering and caregiving in in women's work in this way to, you know, not put, you know, women in that, you know, situation to where they have to choose between, you know, just like you're saying, you know, UH students have to do choosing between their health or, you know, staying in school or, you know, and working. We shouldn't have to put mothers in the position where they have to choose between, you know, staying home with their children or being able to, to care for them and, you know, being homeless or not being able to, you know, pay rent or buy food, or all of these things because they don't work outside of the home. So I think it's brilliant. You know, it's yes. it's what's needed. It's um, 
I know many people will look at it as if it's a huge ask, but you know, if we were really, I love these, um, a few years ago, I would do these kind of apps and there was like a, a article that came out that where you really just sat down and thought about all the work that a woman does or a mother does. Right. And if you really just put a cost to it, you know, like chef, <laughs> you oh know, my gosh, yes. shopper, you know, caregiving teacher and all of these things and, and what kind of job that is. And I, and I would joke with my husband all the time and say, I'm like, um, CFO, CEO level, I should be making six <laughs> figures with all the things I do. And, you know, and it, it was yes. a joke, but it's real because that's the level of work, you know, yes. that we're doing and we're expected to do it, you know, for free. We're expected to be the ones who bear the brunt of that work while yet, you know, men can go out and they know they have, you know, someone who does that level of work so they can do work and earn money. Mm-hmm. So we have to start to rethink the ways in which, you know, uh, our relationships are built. Um, equitable labor is, you know, is figured out and the ways in which we enable women to be able to, you know, to care for themselves and their children and live, you know, it shouldn't, um, a woman shouldn't have to be dependent on a, a man and his earnings in order to like stay sheltered. Even if it's, you know, a situation where it's domestic violence or a situation where someone is being sex trafficked just Mm -hmm. to have a roof over their head and food in their mouth, because that's the only way that they can survive, you know, especially someone who has children, you know, so you have to think about all of these things, you, you know, and it's important that you have women at the table who have these lived experiences or know people who have these lived experiences, or even if they don't have those experiences, they're thinking about these issues, right? Because they know that they're out there and they know that they happen, you know, and they know, you know, we, we know people who are single mothers. We know people who are in situations that are perilous and not knowing like, you know, what to do or whether it's me or like whatever jobs they can get, you know, once they, you know, come out of mothering or while they're mothering, how, you know, how they're going to get paid. So some women are literally making a decision between, do I take this low paying job and have to pay for childcare or do I just stay home with children? You know, and it's, it's an impossible position to be in, you know? So I think if we start to think about all of these ways and, and even as we, you know, put it in there talking about, you know, paid family leave, you know, um, modeling some of the things that we see other countries do, I would say mostly white countries at that, but how they take care of, you know, people who just had, you know, babies, people who are, you know, starting their families and, you know, giving them the opportunity to be home and still be paid and have insurance and be able to do that in a way that sustains us and sustains our cake. Yes. Oh, I love that. And I, I, um, I love those systems they talk about in those other European countries where there's family paid leave, like you said, right? And the fathers are home and the mothers are home and the midwives come to the home and the nurses come to the home. And it's like this a whole different valuing system, right? And mm-hmm. I just really appreciate what you folks, you know, bring into this conversation too. And how do we care for women when they're, if, if and when they're ready to go back to work in different ways. And mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, like you're saying too, you know, people, single moms, we, I, throughout the whole document, I just, all the images of all my friends and family coming up in my mind of who this will serve and how we can serve them in these ways. And, you know, I feel like you folks speak to the experience and the soul of so many, and it's, 
you know, such a beautiful thing to be valued in this way. And like you said, it's a joke, but at the mm -hmm. same time, it's, it's so fucking crazy. I just want to say it like that. And I'll just put the yeah. this podcast. It's so fucking crazy that women are expected to do this. And that app that you talked about, it's like, yeah, I, we'd be making millions of dollars a year mm -hmm. with all these things that we do. And it's per child and it's the, and it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, the value that we need to, like you said, it's an ask and it's also suggestive, but it's a demand. It's like mm -hmm. look and feel and, and recognize, right. That this is, this is the true definition of economy. That's the root of what manages this place. And that going back to that, you know, essence of how do we care? Like you already talked about, that is what needs to be informing the outside, not from this outside capitalist system into how we value women. And, you know, it's the center, us, the balance out. And, you know, as this thing crumbles and burns and dies and just, you know, it's a perfect opportunity, I feel like, to put everything in anything that is going to take care of our, our children, you know, in the in the generations to come. Holla for that. Oh, so, you know, maybe... This will be our, our final, you know, you know, part of our conversation. And I wanted to keep it, you know, at the end, because I feel like it's something that I feel like is maybe closest to your heart in this contribution of the report where, you know, you folks called to, and I'm quoting you here again, harness the role of midwifery to improve deficits in maternal and neonatal health care in Hawaii, especially in rural areas. And, you know, I feel like you have such a, a breadth of experience and service to community and as a midwife and, you know, with your education background and the ways that you can um, see how this informs policy. And, you know, it's a, it's a huge need right now concerning, especially with the mm -hmm. pandemic, right? And you, you folks went on to quote, the pandemic is likely to exacerbate the birth disparities between Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander and Black women versus their white counterparts that existed before the pandemic which will, you know, likely have long lasting implications. And I feel like it's um, a place where, you know, your voice speaks so, so comfortingly and so strongly. And I <laughs> could just, you know, touch on that a bit more. Yeah, like that's the part that I actually wrote. So as you can uh, tell, and yes. I'm extremely passionate about it, you know, about, you know, not even, you know, from the standpoint of being a birth worker and, and being the practitioner, but being someone who's birthed six times, you know, yeah. and being someone who birthed at home three of those times, yeah. um, someone who all six times birthed with the midwife mm. and knowing the autonomy I had and knowing the level of care I had mm. and, and wanting that for everyone if they chose it, you know, and regardless of the place that they give birth, but, you know, having that level of love, care, and nurturing is something that I wish every single birthing person had, you know, yes. and, and knowing that we don't, <laughs> knowing that, right. you know, we spend so much money on, you know, childbirth, but we have such horrible, and as we're seeing now, horrible mm -hmm. Um, statistics and 
levels of care for the amount of money that we're spending, we have to do something differently. And I think what this pandemic is showing us is just how woefully inept we are to handle to handle any kind of crisis and, and knowing that Black, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Indigenous folks were already in crisis yeah. because of institutional racism and because of the, you know, the medical system and the things that we encounter there oftentimes. Yes. Um, it's important that now during this time where people's um, rights to, you know, to informed consent and the things that they can or can't have are being tested, you know, where it's, it's a place with, you know, during this pandemic where people aren't being able to have as much agency as they would otherwise. And it leaves so much room for people to fall through the cracks. It leaves so much room for things to go wrong when things were already going wrong for us. Mm -hmm. um, in these ways. So it was important to say that, you know, we need to think about, you know, the inclusion of midwives into our medical system in a way that serves us all, that serves us better, that makes sure that, you know, from the start, um, the creation of this mother baby dyad is held mm -hmm. sacred. Um, and that we we really understand um, what we're doing and what it means if that's you know a kicky start right yeah. and so if if someone comes in you know to this world you know with with you know the person who was their vessel being unseen unheard mistreated trauma mm -hmm. um, what are we doing what yeah. what are we doing so I think you know for me it was important to voice that to say the ways in which we can do this better because we can't get much worse than this. You know, it already was pretty bad for, you know, black people and indigenous people, especially mm -hmm. here in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. um, even though black people make up just like not even 2% of the population, you know, mm -hmm. infant mortality is, you know, three times, four times as much as, you know, white, their white counterparts, you know, Native Hawaiians come close behind, you know, that. And it's ridiculous, you know. So it, it's something that I'm passionate about, and I and I think we just don't use midwives enough. Um, I don't think our system is set up in a way to where it it works for anyone the the midwife as practitioner or the um, the potential client because we just have these insurance systems and medical systems that don't value it, so they don't want to pay for it. So it puts it's to the point where it's almost inaccessible for the vast majority of us. Right. Because, you know, if you have to choose between, you know, paying cash, you know, mm -hmm. 3000 4000 5000 upwards of $10,000 cash, depending on where you live and where you are, to have a midwife and to have this birth that's on your terms and the way you want mm -hmm. versus your rent, your food, very basic necessities, what do people want to choose? You know, so we have to make it something, you know, we have to look at like these, you know, white European countries and, and model after them, you know, how, you know, everyone gets a midwife and it's covered and you only go to, you know, an OB guide when it's, you know, necessary and it's an emergency and it's collaborative and it, it, it works out beautifully. And I right. think this is a moment to where we can re-envision that because we're seeing now if, you know, especially here in Hawaii, if something was to hit and happen, especially on the outer islands, 
-hmm. What does that mean? What are we going to do? We would have to look at other options and other ways to care for people because babies don't stop coming during a pandemic, you know, mothers don't stop birthing during a pandemic. So what, you know, what's the plan and what are we going to do? And that plan has to include midwives. It has to. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I feel like that's you, your youngest child, I feel like is still so young and yet you're on the ground, you know, you're working, you're supporting mothers who are birthing and you know, I feel yeah. like you live what you're, what you're envisioning. And I feel like that brings so much hope and power to moms. I mean, um, part of my work too, I support, I, I've done some doula work and I, I've also do Lomi Lomi. So there's so many mamas mm-hmm. who are um, speaking into spaces of fear and that's never where we want to be, right? When we're at birth. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the lack of agency that's coming in when people are going to birthing rooms, it's like, you're not allowed to have your doula anymore. Your midwife, mm-hmm. you know, if they go into a, a C-section, if that's happening, then they might not be able to have their husband. It's like, who's caring for the mom? If the people are just doing, you know, the surgery, you know, where's the, the person who's going to be the contact and the care for the baby? And yes, the medical doctors, you know, but if we look at these these places where women might be birthing and where birth is seen as a medical intervention process versus this natural physiological process, right? It's like, they're coming into a place where they're feeling very unsupportive, you know, and I, I just thank you so much for your work continuing to give mothers because it, you know, not, it's not a a negative sacrifice in that you don't want to do it, but you have to give up your time and you have six babies at home. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's a sacrifice in a way of you're having to negotiate your time, which is so valuable and, and is way worth any kind of earnings, you know, that whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, society is yet to value us. But I just wanted to thank you for that. And, you know, as, as we, you know, you go through and you're continuing to live and practice, is there ways that people who are listening can connect with you and contact you for, you know, your, your consultations for your services, um, you know, any way that they can just even follow you or support you please, you know, let us know, let, share it with us. And we'd love to. Yes, I have actually a, a new site that I created that pretty much is kind of like this conversation where it kind of encompasses like all the parts of me and all the, the work that I do. And you can see all the kinds of glimpses because, um, you know, w- what I'm noticing is there's such a huge need, especially now to where people are reaching out for homeschooling, you know, help yes. and, you know, birth work and, and just, you know, advocacy and just all the things. And they just want some kind of information. So I have a new site. Um, mm-hmm. It's called milk and honey dot studio. So www.milkandhoney.studio. And that's where you can find me, Tanya Smith Johnson. Or you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. It's just my name. I'm not creative enough to think of all the crazy names. It's just Tanya Smith Johnson. <laughs> um, and you can, you know, you can see me there, see my work. You can um, always reach out. Um, and if people have any kind of questions or concerns or anything that they would like to chat about, I'm I'm here because I am you and you are me. So like, you know, you said, I'm, I'm in the midst of it too. You know, I'm mothering, I'm, you know, doing birth work, I'm homeschooling and um, I've been doing it a long time. So I'm definitely here as a resource. Mm, Mahalo so much for that. And, you know, it takes that energy and that willingness to reach out and, and 
embrace us because I'm going to be heading over to your milk and honey dot studio right after this, you know, to connect with you because I already follow you on social media. So yeah. thank you so much for your time, for your, your mothering, for your caregiving, for your, your mothering the world really in this, in this creation of this report and your work with the women, you know, in that coalition. I just thank you so much for your time. Mahalo nui, Tanya. Aloha nui. And just send so much love out to you and your, family and your practice and you know your health and and strength and you know liberation for all of us as we do this work together so mahalo so much mahalo yes me. thank you for having me it was beautiful 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 conversation thank you so much oh mahalo okay well take care so much and we'll keep in touch we'll talk soon mahalo yes Mahalo Nui for leaning in with your heart and all your soul. Mahalo for your capacity to shift, believe, and be the person your ancestors prayed for. Thank you for necessitating and moving through the discomfort and the pain, for fighting with all your peacefully cultivated might to shed and reveal the perfect support budding around our blossoming children. I love you and thank you and thank everyone listening and anyone who wants to support this work by contributing monthly at patreon.com forward slash kui aloha. Be well, be strong, stand firm, stand in love. Kui aloha. <laughs>